I'm going to give you a category, and I want you to think of what something that fits in that category, and it's this. Things you know are true, but you hate to hear them. Things you know are true, but you absolutely hate to hear them, especially when it's out of the mouth of your mom, right? Or out of your dad or whatever. But you know it's true, that's why people say it, but you hate hearing it. Let me give you some of them as an example. Life is not fair. How many know that's true? It's true. Everybody knows it's true, but you only hear it when you're a person who's been treated unfairly. Well, life's not fair, just get over it, right? I don't want to hear that. It's like saying to a mad wife, hey, calm down, dear. That's the stupidest thing you can say. Why would you ever do that? After, after 10 minutes of marriage, you should know that's a bad idea, right? But we do it anyway. Life is not fair. Here's another one. There's no use complaining. Is that true? Yep. No use complaining. But the only reason you'd ever say that to me is because I am complaining, and when I am complaining, I have every right to do so, right? Okay? The only thing that's going to help is time. You're going through a difficulty, and somebody says that to you. There are going to, people, there, there are going to be people who just don't like you. There are some mean people. You junior high girls, listen to me. There are just some mean people in the world. Don't be one of them, but know that they're there. You cannot keep up with the Joneses. Even when you think you did, they just moved a, a step ahead of you. You cannot do it. It's all about who you know. That's usually what happens when you don't get the job. Well, it's all about who you know, and you just know the right people. You need to stop procrastinating. They know that. They've heard it all their lives. They just can't. Here's one I didn't put on the, sh the, the thing. But tiny bugs are eating the skin off your face as you sleep. Did you know that? You want to hear that? You swallow eight spiders in your lifetime. Do you really want to know that? Even if it's true, do you want to hear it? It's like, just let me bask in my ignorance, right? Well, today, here's, here's why I bring that up. Today is a time for a sermon nobody wants to hear. This is not going to be one of your favorites. This is not going to be one of those weeks you walk away going, wow, that was a great to be there, right? Um, but it's also one that maybe you need to hear the most because more is said in Scripture about this than almost anything else. But every time it's brought up, the people who are hearing it don't like it. And it's also one of the greatest contrasts between what the church teaches and the world teaches. And when you're most out of step with the world is when it becomes very difficult to practice. It is so contradictory. It is 180 difference from what we are preached at in the world. And all the hours we're living in the world were preached a different message than one you're going to hear. And then you come to church and you hear this one out of step with everything you hear out there. And it's, it's I don't want to hear that. I know you don't. But those are the times when you need to hear it. This is a sermon not that you want. It's one that you need. And it's also one about something that has the most power to sabotage your faith. Money, or actually the love of money. It's a necessity in this world, can't get by without it, but it comes with attendant dangers, right? And you gotta be careful how you handle your money. So we're gonna, pun intended, we're gonna look at both sides of the coin. You get that? Early service didn't either, and I thought it was good. Anyway, so Paul feels the need that these Ephesians need to hear this. 
and apparently Jesus thought so too. Remember when they handed him a coin and he said, render to Caesar what Caesar's? God was, let's talk about the two sides of the coin. So today we're going to do that. One side of the coin needs to come with a warning. If we, if we put them on a pack of cigarettes for people who smoke, we should put this warning on every coin and every dollar bill. And he's got the words. Paul's got the words for us. He says, hey, you Americans, here's what you need to put on your money. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. This thing is not neutral. This money in your pocket and this money in your account is not a neutral thing. It, gives, it puts danger in your hands. Handle with care, right? And so the love of money can cause you all sorts of dangerous positions. It's enticing and it's powerful. Why? Well, first, we just read, Ryan just read very well a moment ago, the love of money can cause you to hear the words of Jesus not as he intended them. Cause us not to accept the words of faith. He says to them in 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you'll join me at verse, actually the end of verse 2. It's a last little section of verse 2. I just lost my place a second. Teach and urge these things, he tells them. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of Jesus and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's conceited. Why would anybody hear the words of Jesus and not accept them? Why would anybody choose to alter them? What would be the motivation of somebody to be so full of themselves that they take the words of Jesus in his scripture and they decide, nah, I'm going to change that up a little bit? Well, he explains why just a little bit down in the passage. Look up at verse 5. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Here's what they're saying. I'll go along with the teaching of Jesus so long as it pays off for me. I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll, I'll listen to what Scripture has as long as there's a payoff for me. As long as it benefits me in some way, I'll accept the word. But the moment that Scripture starts costing me something, I'm going to put a silencer on that dude. I'm going to interpret it away. I'm going to come up with ways to explain away some of these obvious truths. And so people find themselves motivated by, by what Scripture might cost them to not actually accept the words of Jesus but to alter them. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions in this regard, okay? Here's some questions I want you to think of. I'm not going to answer them, but I want you to think of them for yourself. What are some truths about money in Scripture that would challenge the conventional wisdom of our time? Go ahead. Yeah. What are some truths about money in Scripture that challenges what we're taught out there in the world? How does the world view money? Here's the interesting thing. For capitalism to work, you have to keep wanting more. Is that true? Think about it. If capitalism is going to work, do you have to keep wanting more? Yes. For godliness to work, do you have to keep wanting less? Yes. There's a problem here, y'all. You can't do what's, what Scripture and the church teaches, but also what the world teaches, so you're going to have to settle on one side, right? So what are some truths about money in Scripture that would challenge what we're taught in the world? Here's the second one. What are some behaviors that we are to honor that might actually cost us financially? Worship. Worship might. Certainly giving in the offering would. 
There are some other things in Scripture, right? What are some behaviors, and I'm not going to answer this, I'm, I'm posing it. What are some behaviors that we as Christians are to practice that will cost us? There are people in this world who will not come to faith for this one thing. Think of somebody in Scripture who lacked one thing, just one thing for eternal life, and he would not let go of it, and he, as far as we know, went straight to hell because of this one thing called money. Anybody remember who that guy was? Rich, young ruler. One thing. One thing. Last question is really the same as the first, but are there some things taught in Scripture we conveniently ignore because they end up costing us money? We conveniently ignore I think of the Pharisees who came up with Corbin so that they don't have to give their money to their parents to honor the fifth commandment, but they got to keep it for their own benefit, even though it's going to God. How, how can we do this? We finagle these things. And what I'm saying is this is what happens. When greed gets a hold of your heart, it causes you to interpret Jesus incorrectly. It goes against exactly what Jesus is saying. And so the love of money can cause us not to hear the words of Jesus correctly. Secondly, the love of money can jeopardize godliness altogether. Godliness is to be like God. That's a no-brainer, right? Godliness, be like God. And everything in Scripture, if you take the course of life called the Christian faith and honor your curriculum, which is Scripture, it's going to lead you to contentment. Do you know what contentment is? Let me give you a definition. The ability to be thankful for what you have so that you don't complain or become restless about what you don't have. The ability to be grateful for what you have and not complain or become restless about what you don't have. You are enough and you have enough to live with joy. Paul says, I've learned this. I have learned how to be content. It is not a miraculous gift that suddenly falls on you like the day of Pentecost and suddenly you're happy with whatever you got. This is something that you have to develop through life, submitting to the teachings of Jesus, not to the teachings of the world. Now here is your crash course. How do you learn contentment? Because truthfully, if you have the love of money it makes it impossible to go completely into godliness where contentment is. You derail your godliness when you have the love of money. You've got to fight that. Here's how you develop contentment. Number one, three ways. You endure experiences where you have to go without. Now, I looked at this, and I looked at, G, at, at Paul and his description. You've got it Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 4, where Paul talks about this. I learned contentment. Do you know how he learned it? In life. He learned it by a day and a night out in the open sea. He learned it by all the experiences he had. He said, I've learned how I can be content when I have plenty, and I've learned how to be content when I'm hungry in prison and I'd really like to have a grilled cheese sandwich. I've learned in that moment how to be content, and there's no other way to learn it. There is no other way. But then there are those moments where you can actually bring this on yourself. You ever heard of fasting? Anybody ever heard of it? You know what it is? You choose to give up eating for a certain amount of time and devote that time to God, and the only one making you do it is you. 
And do you know why we Americans fight against it? Because I don't want to go without. Now, I want you to remember this, old timers, right? I've heard parents and grandparents say this. I went without as a kid. And when I have my children, I want to make sure they don't have to go without. And do you know what you do when you do that? You sabotage the learning of contentment. You are so prosperous that the things you had to go without as a kid, no one has to go without that in your family. And guess what? And no one has to develop contentment. And no one has to learn how to endurance and patience and the ability to say no to yourself. No, no, you don't have to learn that. This is one way you can do that when you have to go without. But very few people have to. This is like life teaching. This is not somebody forcing it on you. And that's why it developed naturally for those people in the 20s and 30s and 40s. Second way, you have to experience wanting something and telling yourself you can't afford it, and you have to disappointingly wait until you can. And in that waiting, you learn that you can handle it, and you can still be happy, and you can still be satisfied, and you can still be calm, and not be anxious, and not be disappointed, and not be angry, and not be bitter, while you wait until you can afford it. This is the word that's called endurance. Endurance is, and by the way, this is not a choice. Many people who, you want something, but you can't afford it, or you can't have it, it's not available, you have to wait. That's called endurance, there's no choice in that. But how you endure matters. The word patience Develop, it steps in there. And so endurance means I have to wait between wanting it and getting it before I get it. Patience is how I endure. Job was not a patient man. Job was an enduring man. He endured, but he wasn't real patient. He griped, he complained, he went to God, blah, 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 blah. There's nothing wrong with all that, but I'm saying to you, when you have to wait, and you have to wait until the end of this mess comes, how you do that is where you develop contentment. You have to wait for it. I want to show you a verse. I should have put it on the screen, but I forgot it until right before this morning. Colossians chapter 1 has this prayer. I want you, he's saying to the Colossians, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to walk in a manner that worthy of the Lord, that pleases him in every way. And he gives four things about what's going to do that. And here's the third one. May you be strengthened with all power according to his might. May God give you his might and his strength to use for all endurance with patience and joy. I don't want you just to endure because so many times you don't even have a choice about having to endure, but I want you to have the strength from God to endure with patience and joy until the end of your suffering. Can you not only endure, but endure with contentment? That's a tough one. But there's a third way, and for most of us in the prosperous Valley View area of Jonesboro, where money is aplenty, this is the hardest way, but it is the main way that any of our kids will ever learn contentment. You actually can afford things 
but you deny yourself out of principle even though you could technically afford it. Why would you do that? Why would you, if you can afford whatever you want, why would you say no to yourself? Most of you are raising your kids, and most of you probably can afford almost anything they want, but sometimes your kids need to hear no. They need to be told, you don't need this. You've got plenty of other things. You've got all this other stuff. I'm going to tell you, while we technically could afford it, even though they don't really care whether you know that or not, we don't need to do this. But no one's forcing you as a parent to stand on your no. no one, and they'll, they'll come at you, and they'll come at you, and they'll come at you, and you want to make them happy, and you don't want Susie upset, and you don't want her sad and moping, and that little come out. How else are they going to learn contentment? That they've got enough. We sometimes need to tell church people, no, we don't need to swipe the card for that. Awful lot of card swiping at Valley View. Don't even think about it, don't even look at it. And I'm saying to you, sometimes prosperous, blessed people need to tell themselves no. But it's self-regulated. And it's so easy to collapse. And in a rich culture we live in, saying no is almost like the, the, the worst sin you can commit. But how else will they learn contentment? Because they aren't enduring experiences where they have to go without. They hardly ever experience anything where they have to wait for anything. So how are we going to do it? And then they get out there in life, and then life will teach, number one. They will eventually get there to number one, but they won't have the resources and the stamina to handle it without bitterness and anger and walking away from their faith if we don't teach them how to do this and don't model it in ourselves. This is a danger, and it's how contentment is developed. Here's the last caution he gives on this. The love of money makes us very vulnerable to snares. Very vulnerable to snares. You see this in 1 Timothy 6. And it leads to destruction. So when he ended at verse 8, godliness with contentment is great gain, brought nothing into the world, cannot take anything out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. But those who desire to be rich fall into this temptation. Next screen, if you would. Fall into temptation, into a snare, and a many senseless, harmless desires that plunge men into ruin. It leads to this. A snare is a trap. You put cheese in it if you want to get the mouse. You get marshmallows in it if you want to get the skunk. At least that's what I saw on a show the other day, and I suppose it's true. You put in these snares, you put something that's very attractive to them in it, and they come in there, and they enjoy it for a season, but then all of a sudden the, the, the little end of it snaps, and they are trapped, and they are, now they're in deep trouble. And that's what the love of he does it traps you but here's the crazy the crazy thing we get really creative on how we can sabotage God's one means his main means of supporting you of you supporting yourself is for you to go out and constructively work and make some contribution to the world that's positive and you do something for eight hours and then someone comes along and pays you for it and you save that money and you support yourself and you save that money and buy the things that you need and even a few of them that you want but we don't want to wait. 
we don't want to wait that long and so we get creative and we get plastic cards and we swipe them and we buy stuff today and we push on down the road paying for it and then when that gets maxed out we get another credit card with zero percent financing and put all that on there and we put it off another few months and then we do it again and again eventually guys it's going to collapse on you Or people get into gambling where they want a quick buck, right? They think they can win easily, and they start, and maybe they do it first. Maybe they do it first, and they start, and then all of a sudden, oh, they get trapped, and here it comes, and boom, it's gone. And they, all because I don't want to have to wait, or it's not to be critical of people. Instead of getting a, a job with that constructive value to it, they get a sign, and they stand at an intersection, And a couple of them I know have houses. He and his wife both get monthly checks. They've got plenty. But you know what? They can get more by standing out there with a sign than they can having a job. And it's sin. It's a snare. It's a trap. It's a creative, crafty thing of getting a shortcut to what should be the honest, healthy way to do it. And and this happens. We get creative. It's a snare though, y'all. It's a snare. When you get a little something for nothing or when you get something now and only pay later, y'all, it's a trap. It's a trap that's going to consume you. And then one of these days when you need to be generous and willing to share, you can't because you are ensnared by all the future coming due one day. That's why we need that yellow exclamation point. This is dangerous. It plunges men into ruin and destruction. You can play the game for a while, but due day is coming. And it destroys marriages, it destroys people's lives, and it costs their souls sometimes. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin proceed with caution money is a valuable tool and has a blessing that you can use it for but boy you you've got to be disciplined to do it we begin with two truths two important truths verse six great gain there is with godliness that leads to contentment godliness doesn't have to pay off for you with stuff or money godliness can pay off for you with contentment and that's where it needs to go contentment You don't always have to have more. You also win when you want less. It goes the other way too. I just want more, and if I get more, then it benefits me. But you know what else benefits you? When you start taking away some of the things you absolutely want. All of a sudden, I don't want that anymore. All of a sudden, I don't need that anymore. You get just as rich by taking away your wants as you do by adding to what you have. that's what he's saying to us. This is, the, this is the pinnacle of godliness. When you become like God is when you can stand up and say, I am content with whatever I have. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be worried and fretful. And I'm not going to feel like I'm behind everybody else. Paul says, I've lived both ways, and the better way is contentment. And then the other truth is verse 7, is we brought nothing into the world, we're going to take nothing out of it. You got here naked, you're going to leave naked. And here's the interesting thing. The world that we say we're longing for the most is a world in which possessions and money mean nothing. 
The world we say we want to live in, the one we're striving to go to, money means nothing, possessions mean nothing, so the best way to practice for that world is start preparing for that mindset right now. Because you're not brought nothing into it and you can take nothing out. But then, but then I, I, I want to get a, a positive spin on this thing because that's what he does. If you would join me at verse 17 because he then talks about the proper view of it. I just, this is going to end with this. This proper view of how you handle money. You have money and the money doesn't have you. That's the thing. You have money and the money doesn't have you. This is a wonderful position to be in. And here's how you do it, verse 17. You are not full of yourself. You are not full of yourself, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, can I tell you every Valley View member, that's you. I don't want you thinking, I don't want you sitting there going, well, that's for them. No, 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 no. This is straight at you. Don't you tune me out. And don't you say this is somebody else who has more than me. This is between your eyes. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. You know what arrogant is? You know what arrogant is? It's what the world teaches us is the worth. Do you know who the person, the human being, who right now is worth more than anyone else on the face of the planet? Anybody know who it is? What? Nope. Nope. He heads Russia. Putin is the richest man on the face of the planet. He's worth the most, or at least he was before all this stuff happens, right? Probably still is. But now the weird thing is, when I say that, you all start talking about worldly standards. That's how you interpreted it, wasn't it? Who's worth the most? We all talk about who's got the most money. Is that who's worth the most? Because you see, that's what our kids are being trained in. Our kids in public schools are being trained in this. Who's wearing the best clothes? Who's got the best shoes? Who gets the, who gets the private lessons for softball? Who is it that gets to do the most? Who is it get to go on the grand, grand vacations? Goes to Disney World every year. That's what wor- makes you worth something. Is that true, church? Is that true? No! But we think that way too, don't we? Because we live most of our hours in a world that thinks that way. We we, comp- we compute value the same way. And you know what God, Paul says here? You, you rich people, don't, don't feel superior if you have more. But he would also say to us, don't feel inferior if you have less. It's not about your bank account total. It's not about your portfolio. But our kids are being trained it is, aren't they? And you know what? They know by the time they're in junior high where they are on the pecking order, don't they? Teachers, is that true? Teachers, is that true? I want a nod of the head. Do you think that's true? you think they know where they are on this hierarchy? Nobody's answered. Melissa, is that true? That's true, right? I'll make my wife commit when nobody else will. See, that's another one of those things, right? It can't be that way in the kingdom of God. It can't be that way in our youth group. It can't be that way when you decide who you're going to marry. It can't be that way. we got to be different. The kingdom is different and our values are different. And it's got to show up different in our minds. And if it's not going to show up different in our minds, how's the world ever going to learn this? Man, it's against the grain and it's hard. 
And I think maybe because we attach our value to how successful we seem in the world, and I'm not sure that's true. Randy's, Randy Simpkins, a great, smart engineer guy, and probably has the first penny he ever made. That's what people tell me. And as smart as he is, if God placed him in Ethiopia, he'd be nothing. How much of his success is him? Well, he, he chose where he, he was born? You think he was smart and decided, I want to be born in Jonesboro, and that's where I'm going to live my life? Is that what? He didn't have anything to do with it, nothing. And if he were in Ethiopia, he'd be the most intelligent IQ guy in the bush, doing nothing but being impoverished. What decided that? Grace of God. Oh, that we'd learn this for ourselves. Also, he says, verse 7, don't put your confidence in hope and and wealth. Don't, don't, Don't be less anxious just because you have more money in your bank account. Learn to be less anxious because you have God you can turn to at any moment and develop that relationship with God. Begin your day not with a look at the, uh, the stock market. Begin your day with a prayer and turn to God when things get tight for you and don't go to retail therapy to make yourself feel better. Don't go to Amazon and buy something to give yourself a hit of dopamine. Instead, spend some time with God and learn to trust him. How do we do that? How do we develop that in ourselves? That's a very huge challenge. But he told the Ephesians, I want you to open your eyes so that you know the hope of your calling. I want your hope to be in the calling of God on your life, that I am God's child. There's my identity. There's my hope. There's my confidence. That's what I turn to. That's when I get stressed. I look to him and not to something else. It's so easy to say. I don't even know we got to illustrate that. Finally, do good with your resources. And he says in verse 18 and verse 19, how to do that. Be rich in good works. Be generous and willing to share, right? This is for the rich in the present life, remember? That's you. Enjoy, verse 17, what God gives you. Do good. Be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share. That's how you handle your wealth. Find things that you can support and find people that you can help and do good with your resources. You don't, he says in the the next verse, He says, storing up treasure for yourselves as a firm foundation of the future. You may take hold of that life, which is truly life. You cannot hold on to eternal life, life with God, spiritual, real life, and also hold on tightly with every fiber of your being to every penny you make. You can't hold on to both, and so which one are you going to grasp? Because which one you grasp determines the other. If you want life that is truly life, you'll be loose with this money and, and use it for good things. If you want the money, you have to let go of the life. You've got to choose. It's, it's like this battle. And Scripture kind of tells us what we do. You take care of your family. You consider people in need. You invest in your future. But there's another one. There's one I want to talk about as we conclude, and that's this. You ever been someplace on a road that's it's a long stretch that's straight, and so people like to go faster than they should? And they start putting these little bumps in there. You ever, you ever been to a place like this? It's called a speed bump. You, you, you insist on going real fast, it's going to absolutely tear up your oil pan, I promise you, and it's going to be the roughest ride of your life. 
the speed bump is to keep you from being able to go as fast as you want to go. It makes you slow down, and so it keeps you from going excessively. And there's one thing I think God has given us that's called a speed bump to greed. Because here's the thing, greed is contagious. We start getting faster and faster. And by the way, you can have contentment as a wonderful thing, but you don't get there and then coast. You don't get there and set your life and then it's content. No, you've got to fight for contentment all the time. You are one commercial away from greed again. And I can look at other people and say, well, new cars is your thing. Boy, you really spend a lot. But while that's their thing and it's not my thing, my thing might be the new iPhone. Every time a new iPhone comes out, I've got to pay the $10 billion to get it, right? And so everybody's got their thing. They've got their toys that they're willing to, to spend money on. And here's the thing. You can, you can arrive at a point where you feel content and then you watch that commercial and you're out of balance again. And you start spending and you start spending and you start getting faster and faster. God put into our lives speed bumps to make us go, hold it just a minute. And it's called the offering. Every week, how pesky is that? Every week, how pesky is that? I don't know that we treat it this way, and sometimes we sell it like, hey, we got a building to pay off, y'all. Let's give more to pay off a building. But listen, your you're giving is not to a building, and your giving is not even to the church. Your giving is to the Lord, and it's to help you stave off the love of money. It's helping you to stave off greed. It's helping you develop contentment. It is a speed bump. If you've ever been on a seesaw, you know what this is like. You and the other person finally get it kind of balanced, and it's all like it should be, and then somebody else jumps on the other side, and you've got to do still more maneuvering, and that's what happens. And every week, imagine this. I believe this is the way it should work. And by the way, it doesn't all have to go to the church, so I don't want you to think that your offering has to be this. It's, it's what you do generously. But here's what I think happens. You have to budget for it. You have to plan for it. And you need to say, this is the amount we're going to give, and no matter what happens this week, we're going to give this much. We're not going to wait until the end of the month, see what's left, and that's what we're going to give. No, no, no. You've got to plan for it. And then you plan around it, and you say, here it is. And if we, if we stay faithful to this amount right here this month, and we're out looking for a new car, and you know how new cars work? You're going to go for this one, and you're going to stay to your budget, but then you see this one and go, oh, well, we can just add a little more and get this nicer one. And then you see another one, a little more, and suddenly you've gone way out here and you look at it and you go, I can't do that and still be faithful to this budgeted, planned amount I'm committing to God. What are you going to do? Buy the car and compromise this? Or are you going to say that's what we're giving to the Lord so here's what we can afford? That's when you stave off the love of money, you arrive at a speed bump that slows you down because once you get on the open road with greed, it takes charge of your life and you are overspent, you are overtaxed, and you couldn't be generous if you wanted to be. And I think probably the Valley View richness, not talking about the church, but the area, is almost a mirage because I wonder, do people owe all, own all that or do they owe for all that? And God wants to set you free from this. Marriages are ended by this. 
Spiritual walks are ended by this. Integrity is compromised by this. And God wants you to have all that. He wants you to have all that. Nope, not going to be your favorite sermon. You're not going to go eat lunch today and say, well, that was great. No, you're not. And I really don't care. You and I need to hear the Lord speak on this on a regular basis. It is not because the church needs your money that we're not meeting budget. We are. This is not a budget matter. It's not because the preacher wants a raise, although he'll take one if you want to offer him one. It's not that. It's been, <laughs> it's been repeatedly said over the last few months, this church is a great church and a giving church. Yes, in corporate it is. But I have to wonder, are we in our individual lives where we are, by giving, we are setting ourselves free of the love of money and developing contentment? Are we individually strong at this? We have families that can give $50,000 and it looks like the church has been generous and there's many of us who can't give anything because we owe so much. I'm not talking about a church rate to heaven. I'm talking about each one of us. Are you content? Are you able to be generous? Are you? Are you buying a bunch of stuff on credit and so strapped by bills you can't be generous when you want to because I can tell you this that's not true life and that's not the life of a person of a child of God who longs to be giving to people it's about sustaining contentment and obstructing that barrage of the world's philosophy more 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 it indicates your value it indicates your significance it tells you who you are no it doesn't God does all that God does all that Pursue contentment. There's where peace is found. There's where anxiety goes to die. And that's where this ability to enjoy life no matter what's going on, and that is what will cause the world to go, what? How can you do that? But they won't say that if we're not living that way. This morning, if there's anything keeping you from being content, Start pursuing that contentment, even if it means restraining yourself, denying yourself, withholding things. If you're not content because you don't have God as your God, and he's not on your side, and he's not your Savior, he's not your Lord, this morning you can do that. If you're not content because you're so busy uh, satisfying the world and you've forgotten, you just lost sight of the kingdom, and you need the help of this church to refocus on the kingdom, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things, be taken care of. That's what he says. He promises us this. It's available to you as we stand and as we sing.